This week, we're joined by Randall Ragsdale, a local stay-at-home Whatcom dad. And we discuss whether you should pay your kids for their good grades and how to help them deal with the stress and pressure of academics. I'm Nathan Dwyer, and alongside Mark Bagley and Chris Roselli, we are the Whatcom Dads Podcast. Guys, it's episode 40. Can't believe that. I know, Mark, you didn't think we'd get to episode three, but now we've gotten to (laughs) episode 40. And 40 made me think of turning 40, which is something I did a few years ago. So I feel like our podcast is getting, is over the hill still a term? Yeah, I think it is. I I was going to say it's a little more mature, but I don't, I'm not any more mature now that I'm over 40 than I was before 40. How come we didn't have a big party? I remember we had a big surprise party for Chris's 40th birthday. That was amazing. That was amazing. Well, I did notice in the mirror last week, the gray hair is starting to come in. So <laughs> if that's any indication, maybe the podcast is getting some gray hairs. Is that a sign of like wisdom and, you know, being, you know, just more refined? Yes, it shows sophistication. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's ever used sophistication <laughs> and Whatcom Dad's podcast in the same sentence, but um, <laughs> nonetheless, Mark, we recorded last week without you. You were on your way back from a family trip. This is a uh, an annual excursion down to uh, Mount Adams, which is in the central part of the state, and it's a, a camping trip that we uh, go on with my wife's family, and we are in search of huckleberries. And that may sound silly, but it's something that my in-laws have done since they were children. And they are, wow. um, yeah, it's been going for decades and decades and decades. And we, we did some calculations and this was my 32nd trip with the family to camp and pick huckleberries. So it's really a, a, a established tradition in our family. And what's great about it is the kids have all grown up doing this and it's super special to them. And I think we've talked about my daughter has moved to Boston. She flew back to be able to go to Huckleberry's. That's great. And that was that was pretty special. And Ben, we planned the the trip uh, around the Bell schedule, and the Bell's regular season was to be over, and they made the playoffs. So he was not able to come to Huckleberry's because they had a home game and he had to work the game. So he was bummed that he wasn't there, but um, Allie was really happy that she was there. So thanks for asking. It was a, a great time. It always is. It's just quality family get together sitting around the well this year was a propane uh, fueled campfire uh, you know having cocktails and having good food and, and, and great conversation top three things you make with huckleberries uh pie pie and pie no <laughs> pie is number one uh, our neighbor makes a really good huckleberry martini and number three are the huckleberry pancakes Ooh. Ooh. We, you need to make us huckleberry pancakes. We could record, we could record a breakfast edition. They're amazing. We should do that. I'm in. Okay. Let's do it. And in a typical year, how many buckets, gallons, pounds, trash bags full do you end up leaving with? In a normal year, we will come home with, oh, anywhere between 15 and 20 gallon bags of huckleberries. This year we came home with five. They're very wow. difficult, very difficult to find this year. The the heat did a number on the plants 
I don't think it was a very wet winter, not a lot of snow. It needs a lot of moisture for, to be able to grow. So it was a tough, right. tough uh, year in finding huckleberries. But, you know, we just... It's been a tough, tough year for everyone. Yeah, yeah it's wow. been a tough year for everyone. The huckleberries were uh, not immune to the tough, tough COVID year. I guess they weren't. Well, last week I alluded to the school shopping expedition that I was prepared to take my kids out on. And it did happen, but not without a little bit of a false start. Uh, we loaded up the car on Saturday morning, me and the two oldest kids. And for whatever reason, everybody's attitude wasn't A plus that morning. And probably mine, not A plus as well. And so it was before we even rolled out of the driveway, we aborted the mission. We had some uh, cool out time, which turned into just a little bit of uh, tempers flaring, my own included. We took a break and tried again the next day. And so we did today finally execute the school shopping and it has been completed. And as usual, I had a really good time with the kids. Nathan, were were they, were they just too excited? Kind of like Christmas morning where there was so much buildup and anticipation (laughs) that it just was like a meltdown or what happened? It was less of that. It was more of just like a really negative attitude for whatever reason that morning. And just a lot of, there was, I don't think my daughter quite rolls her eyes yet, but there's a lot of, (sighs) And a lot of like, and so, you know, her and I didn't see eye to eye. And so what ended up happening was it was clear that she wasn't in the mind space to go. And so I asked Benjamin, I said, well, do you want to go with just me or do you want to wait for when Ellen's more ready to go? And he chose to wait. He wanted her there. And so to his credit, he likes spending time with her. That's nice. That's cool. Well, I was going to say good for you for, for making the decision to not, fight it and go with it and be grumpy during an opportunity that should have been and turned out to be a real positive experience. I would have probably just forced him to come in frustration and it would have been miserable all the way through. Your life can change in an instant. Car accidents impact all aspects of your life and lead to pain and suffering, medical bills, and time missed from work. Robinson and Cole, attorneys in Bellingham, can help. They have represented thousands of clients since 1979. They also handle other types of injury claims, including workers' compensation. Consultations are always free and are available in Spanish. Robinson and Cole, when you need us, we will be here. Well, listeners, we are in for a treat tonight. We have with us Randall Ragsdale, who is a local stay-at-home dad. And Randall, before we get too far, is that a term that we should stick with or should we use something else for this interview? Uh, well, I'm not here to police your language, but I can say that's not what I have ever called myself for two reasons. One, uh, I look at it as a job and not as a sort of gendered notion. I don't think you have to be a dad to be a care provider for the kids. Uh, also, I've never been much for the stay at home part. So I always used primary care provider, which I guess is a bit more, uh, it's like less nurturing, right? But uh, I, <laughs> I figured deal with it. You know, I'll, I'll be nurturing when you skin your knee. <laughs> there you go. Well, well, we might use those interchangeably, but I wanted to make sure we got that cleared up. So Randall, just tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've lived here in Whatcom County about your family, maybe how old your kids are, what grades they're in, that sort of thing. 
Sure. Uh, I moved to Bellingham when I was 18 years old in 1998, I believe, uh, for work, which is a very rarefied thing to do in Bellingham. I was a video store rental retail. Now, some of your audience is going to have to Google what that means, but I did that for work at the time. Uh, It's through that job that I met my amazing uh, partner and wife, Renee, and we just sort of clung on in Bellingham and have more or less been here ever since. Uh, have two kids, a 12-year-old daughter, Eliza, who uh, is going into seventh grade, and my son, Milo, who is seven, and he's going into second grade. So, Randall, what were the circumstances of you and your wife deciding that you were going to be the primary caregiver to your children? And for what ages was that in effect? Uh, It was pretty much right away, starting when uh, Eliza was 16 weeks old is when I was home full time. Uh, The plan had always been to uh, my my wife, who's an aquatic toxicologist. uh, The plan was for her to go to grad school and I was working full time uh, before then. And the plan was for me to send her to school. Essentially, she could stay home with the kids and I would work. And when she was ready, she could go to school. Uh, what happened was her workplace uh, liked that she wanted to become a toxicologist. They wanted one on staff. So they decided to send her to school. Uh, and she did that while pregnant because she's a superhero. Uh, I worked that time. And then when she was done with maternity leave, uh, I left my job, which uh, full disclosure, I wasn't super stoked to be working at anyway, and tried to do freelance work at home. I did that for the first year or so and completely, completely burned myself out because I somehow believed that I could uh, manage clients uh, and be present for my daughter and continue to run things domestically. And uh, I don't, I try not to live with a lot of regret. One piece of advice I would give to people who are going to be primary care providers for their kids, especially brand new kids where you're figuring out everything is it's a whole job and you can do the whole job. You do not have to feel, I felt very, this is my ego talking. I just felt very compelled. Like I had to do more, I had to win bread. And none of that really mattered. I would rather not burn myself out, just uh, try to enjoy more of that. I can't even imagine how overwhelming that felt. Amy literally went over to a friend's house last week to watch her newborn child so she could shower. (laughs) Like, So the fact that you're trying to manage all of those other things while maintaining relationships and doing work for clients, uh, I can see why that would be almost an impossibility. It was a lot. And I had... uh, before in my life, I'd worked in school-age child care for the Whatcom YMCA for a lot of years. Uh, so I had a lot of experience working with young people um, and, and filling the day. I didn't really have any experience with infants, but I had a high willingness to learn. So I didn't mind uh, figuring things out, like how do you help an infant calm down, fall asleep, uh, change a diaper, uh, create safe places for them to be and engaging experiences I really, really did throw myself into those things, but oddly I did it with a bit of guilt. Like when I was watching my daughter, you know, learn to scoot backward on the floor, part of my brain would be like, you should be in the kitchen cleaning that so that later you don't have to clean it so that you can be working at night. Uh, And just letting those things stack up. That's no way to be around 
well, any human relationship really, but especially a brand new one. Yeah. You want to be attentive. And once I figured that out, I had a lot better go of it. And I think by the time Eliza was a couple of years old, I was embracing more of the experience of being around this young human who was just, you know, feeling shadows on her face. You, you know, you felt shadows on your face. You think that's cool? Watch a two-year-old do it. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering, Randall, when, when you decided to be, when you and your wife decided that you'd be the primary um, care provider for your children, did you know other men who were in that role as well um, that you could kind of form a, a bond with or a, um, just a, for lack of a better term, kind of a support group to figure it all out? Right. Uh, no, I did not. I knew of other men who did it, uh, but none who were in a <laughs> hangout space. So as, as I said, I was out a lot and that was mostly me alone or me with uh, uh, professionals in their environment. So a good, a perfect example of this is I spent a lot of time at the Bellingham Children's Library and formed relationships with all the librarians there, friendships that I have to this day, I'm proud to say, but uh, Bethany, the head children's librarian there. And I joked one time when we realized that I'd been there nine days in a row. I just found time on my trip <laughs> nine days in a row because I love being around people. And it's, it you know, Bethany and the librarians create such a great space for kids that it was easy to be there and have lots of different things to do. Uh, but as far as peers, that it just took a long time before I felt like anybody was, you know, seeing me as a peer in the in the work of it. Were there uh, stereotypes or assumptions that people made about you and uh, in that role? And if so, sort of how did you deal with that? Uh, I don't know that I saw more as a man in a traditionally uh, woman's work in a lot of people's minds. I know that I got a ton of unsolicited advice and worried looks from people, uh, especially around uh, diaper changing and, uh, feeding. And if we were in any kind of, uh, natural environment where arguably a kid could be like near a rock that they might want to put in their mouths or a tuft of grass, because I'd worked at the Y so long, I knew those environments were very safe and a very good way for kids to learn risk management and, and about their environment. And so I also had sort of a laissez-faire attitude of I'm nearby and this kid is not going to die under these circumstances. So it was also very casual. And that meant that sort of your grandparently types would, would show me in a lot of different ways that they wanted me to be doing more yeah. to sort of manage the kid. And, and it was just one of those things because I didn't know the work and I didn't assign to myself that same ego that I had to breadwinning. I just didn't really have any ego about it. And so if someone had advice, I'd just listen to it because I didn't know what I was doing. But then I would go my own way either way because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have any reason to trust that they understood the situation the way I did. Uh, and as far as I was concerned, keeping the kids safe and then letting them have fun was doing the job right. Randall, I'm wondering, you know, when, when the four of us were growing up, um, it was traditional where 
the females, our moms, were our, were our caregivers, not our dads. I'm wondering, when you and your wife decided to make this choice for your children, what was the reaction of your parents and your wife's parents? I think that both Renee and my parents are amazing. And they did hard work in an era of parenting where uh, both my dad was not part of the picture. And uh, Renee's parents split when she was a little older. And so she had, uh, you know, some from one and some from the other. And I think everybody did a great job. They, my mom is amazing and worked her tail off and raised two boys who, uh, you know, two, two, two boys who were drinking like a gallon of milk a day and tearing up every part of the house as we tried to deal with each other. When it came time for us to talk with them about what we wanted to do as parents, I'm sure that there were a lot of things that we told them that they were surprised at or felt like shouldn't be their way. But because, uh, and, and I'm talking about Renee's mom because her, her father passed uh, when we were in our early 20s. I think that they appreciated that we were making the choices and being active. So even in the cases, Mark, where they didn't know necessarily why we were making those choices, they were very receptive to the fact that we were, and and uh, I credit them with that because that was nice to have that support. Yeah, having that support is very important, not only for you and your wife, but for your kids as well, and you know that everyone is is understanding and all on the same page. Mm-hmm. As your kids have aged, you've continued to serve in this uh, primary care provider role up to the present. Yeah, interestingly, uh, the gig I was talking about is I run uh, trivia games at uh, a couple of venues and now weekly online when COVID shut everything down. And it was like, I, I feel this last year like a retired general pulled out of retirement because there's a conflict. And my attitude in the household is way more like, listen up, here's how it's going to go. <laughs> 10 years salty vet just being like, here's how we get along during the most terrifying time of our lives. <laughs> Have these spaces and these activities and nobody winds anybody up. So is there any desire on your part or your wife's part to switch roles? Uh, Interestingly, COVID has uh, shifted it so that she's at home. She had to, she had to continue working. And so I gave up what was my home office is now her home office. Uh, And she's here a lot, which is great because the commute is gone. The plan to have me be the primary care provider always made sense because I had a history of it. She's an amazing mom, and she's really good at the parts of the job that I'm not. She schedules activities, books campgrounds, uh, finds places in the schedule. We played pickleball just before this, uh, and I wouldn't have thought of it. And I'm having a lot better time because I got out, got my heart rate up, and smelled some fresh air. So that's, you know, it, it works because it's a partnership. We've learned to lean on one another. I don't know... Mark, that there's any such thing as switching roles, especially at the age of our kids. We are just both creating a circumstance for these kids uh, 
that in my opinion, they are so lucky to have as someone who grew up with a mom who was just working her tail off, uh, who had to have his brother support a lot. Uh, and, you know, it's hard for boys to get along. It's hard for anyone to get along, but, you know, it was tough. And uh, these kids have two parents who have energy for each other and for the kids and show them how to have energy for one another and for their friends. Uh, I just, I don't see it as me doing the lion's share, especially now. Uh, it's just that she has to be in the office. So I have to, just before this, I settled like a 10-part negotiation over whether the kids would watch the last two episodes of a Netflix cooking show where they make desserts or begin the new season of a different Netflix show where they make different types of desserts. And it was a very complicated negotiation that I said I wouldn't begin until the laundry was folded and put away. So you can understand the challenges that I was dealing with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I stake stuff. <laughs> So you talked about uh, trying to balance out a lot of the the sort of home things uh, with work and now, of course, working at home. I'm going to do a couple of rapid fire questions for you. Uh, first of all, chore that you like the least. <laughs> and all of them isn't a fair answer. Is that true? I don't love chores. Pick one. What is a chore that I like the least? Sorting paperwork. You know, if you're in a bad mood and you throw away some like hand drawn thing that they made you and then later they ask about it, you're like, oh, geez, oh, man, I'm the worst dad. <laughs> What's your favorite lunch to make for the kids? Favorite lunch to make for the kids would have to be fresh fruit that I can hand to them. Here, here is an apple. <laughs> Go away. Have fun. Uh, you mentioned the library. You've mentioned uh, some playgrounds. What's a uh, favorite place to take them on a play date? I will rapid fire answer that with a bunch in case anybody is listening and needs some ideas. Uh, the marine life touch tanks down by the waterfront are great. I know that during COVID, you have to schedule your time there. When we're eventually post-COVID, you can just walk in fascinating things to see, really wonderful and benefits repeat experiences. Uh, Lorraine Ellis Park still has pea gravel. As far as I know, it's the only park in Bellingham left with pea gravel. So definitely take your kids there so they can fill their shirts up and then drop them all down the slides and hear all that noise. <laughs> uh, Elizabeth Park is fantastic. It's a, uh, it's a tree museum and there's a guide that you can go download so you can learn about all the different trees that are there. And we're just totally blessed with a lot of different environments to take kids. Oh, uh, Mineport is great. Once they're open, you can take your kids to Mineport. And then just Western Washington University. Go up there without any kind of plan in mind and just wander. Well, let's close with this, Randall. Is there one thing in particular that you've found most rewarding about being in this role for your family? Yes. Uh, you know how... People wandering through life when you have your kids will just issue unsolicited advice and it's nearly always trash. The one piece of unsolicited advice that I receive that rings true every time and I'm happy to issue unsolicited to other people is enjoy this while it lasts. I can't tell you how quickly the last 12 years have gone by. And it's gone by so fast that sometimes I see myself looking 12 years down the road and it seems like it's going to be tomorrow. Yeah. So the the absolute most important best advice I give to anyone is just slow down and appreciate 
every little thing that makes you smile. You watch a kid learning something, you're feeling frustrated with them. Just delve into that. Allow the frustration to be there. Be there in those moments because look at us. Look at us, haggard old dudes. We used to be, we used to be people's kids one day. You know what I mean? This Our kids true. are going to be doing a podcast ignoring us soon. And we need to take advantage of the time we have with them. So true. So true, Randall. Yeah. Well, this is great. Real quick before you go, tell our listeners where they can find you in your gig as a trivia master, both in person here in Whatcom County and online. Sure. Uh, I have returned uh, two weeks now triumphantly to my original venue that is Culture Cafe. That is the cafe under the Herald sign downtown Bellingham. Uh, Beautiful spot, airy, plant-filled, delicious drinks, and a fun uh, atmosphere that big garage bay doors that are open with fans blowing. I am at the beginning of all this in March of 2020. I started running my game through Zoom and have continued to do so. Uh, I have that is something that you register for uh, online. You can go to facebook.com/slash world's best trivia. And there's a link to the Zoom registration sheet for this coming game, which is Tuesday. I, I imagine this uh, episode will be out, but I'm running it every Tuesday and I have no intention of stopping. Lots and lots of families still come or households, I should say. Uh, and it is, you know how you say to people that you used to know and you want to hang out with, we should get together. I am that get together. Instead of you trying to sit down and have drinks or figure out what you're going to do, sign up for this game. I have people who have family from all over the country or old college friends or coworkers who are taking a break and we just have fun. It's a mix of the gallery and private breakout rooms. And uh, we're pushing like 18 months in of me running this game. It's an absolute hoot. Lots and lots of people come. And uh, what day of the week is the trivia at culture club and what time? Culture cafe is Monday at seven o'clock. And uh, the online game we call Socially Distant Trivia with Friends is Tuesday at 7 o'clock. So Monday nights uh, in person in Bellingham and Tuesday virtually from wherever you want to join from. I'll put some links to those in the show notes for you listeners. Randall, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you for sharing some time with us and sharing some insight about your your role within your family. Uh, sounds like your kids are incredibly lucky to have you in that capacity. And so best of luck as they continue to get older. Heck yeah, man. Thank you. I really appreciate the invitation uh, on this great Wacom uh, parent spot. No, I don't want to get out Well, this week, as school is starting, I thought we'd talk a little bit about sort of how families handle academics in their own household. Just sort of overall attitude about schooling. Chris, you're married to a school teacher. You've talked in the past about you viewing uh, education as a partnership with your kids' teachers. Yes. So I can imagine that you guys have been pretty intentional about it. First question was, do you pay for good grades? I know that's a thing. Some people do it. I know I had friends who did it. It wasn't done at my house, but I uh, wonder what your guys' take on that was and, and what, what your family has sort of decided upon on that. Yeah. I mean, in our house, uh, like chores, those are, we don't pay for chores. Uh, there are things that are expected of them and uh, that doesn't require payment 
in order to be able to, to, to get that. So uh, they don't get paid for good grades. It's expected of them to do their very best and good grades should be a result of that. Um, and it's interesting with this last year, Lexi did very well academically, except for one class. She didn't do as well as she should have. And she, she immediately said, well, I, I, I did my best. And Amy and I kind of looked at her like, did you really do your best? And she, she knew so, right. That she, she could have tried harder. And I think COVID, I, I think everybody was given a little bit of a free pass this year in the academic side of things. And I think Lexi's going to be, it'll be interesting to see, but I think Lexi is going to be in for a little bit of a shock this year when they go back face to face and she sees really what homework should look like and, or could look like and studying hard for tests. So it's an expectation. Same with us. We never paid and uh, we didn't punish either, but we would just um, raise expectations if the grades were not where we thought they should be. Mark, you've talked in the past that just uh, your kids knowing that you're disappointed in them would be enough to to push them forward. So do you think that was sort of the issue with grades? If they got a grade that was maybe lower than they thought they should get, they knew that the kind of the, the parental disappointment alone was going to be enough to push them harder the next semester? I think so. Um, but that came more from Annette than from me, but more subtly from Annette than the way I used to do it when my disappointment. Her expectations were way higher than mine because I was the kid who would do the homework at the last minute, study for the tests on the bus on the way to school, et cetera, et cetera. And she was way more prepared. So she had way higher expectations than I did academically for the kids. And she pushed them to perform, not not in a tiger mom kind of way, but just in a, hey, I know you got this in you. You need to work harder and get this done. Yeah, so far we really haven't got much in the way of grades. I think during COVID, we didn't really get grades at all for Ellen. But I think my concern about paying for grades would be a couple things. One, I think it breeds a sense of entitlement. Um, when they get to be an adult and they're doing what they're supposed to do, they're going to be looking for that handout, right? It could be in a job setting. I think the second thing is uh, failure's okay, right? So, like, failure is a learning opportunity. So we don't want to say, you know, if we start to say that not doing well will cost you money, uh, are you going to be learning that same side of lesson when you fail or do less than expected or don't study for that test? Uh, we want you to try your best and there doesn't need to be an added incentive or bonus if you, if you do what you're supposed to do. But once in a while, I think it's fine. Like, you know, we would take the kids to Dairy Queen and get a blizzard if their report card was. Oh yeah, really celebrate, good. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but right. it wasn't it wasn't directly tied to right, and it didn't become an expectation. Yeah, right. Right. and it wasn't like you only get the blizzard if you get X GPA. It was oh, you got your grades. We think you tried hard. Here's your, you know, celebration. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and on the other end, kind of like what you were talking, Nathan, about Mark and kind of that that. On the other side of it, if they don't perform, we've made it very clear. Um, it's a rule that that we took from my parents. We've made it very clear to our girls that if they get grades that do not meet expectations, that it must mean that they are too busy and that they are spread too thin and therefore their extracurriculars will go away. 
so they can focus more on their schooling. Um, we've not had to deliver on that. Um, and my parents only had to deliver it once. And that was to my older brother. And we watched that happen. And uh, we made sure our grades were always good because I did not want to get pulled from baseball or any other activities I like doing. So let's talk a little bit about how your kids get stressed out with their academics. Again, with a second grader and kindergartner, I haven't had to deal with that yet. Although my daughter does have some sort of uh, apprehension about reading and getting words wrong, but um, you know, academics can be stressful. And what have you as parents been able to do to sort of help your kids through those times? Well, again, I'll give Annette all the credit on that. She was the one that would sit down and spend the time with them. Our son, academics and school always came very easy to him. So there was very little stress on his part. Our daughter, she had to work a lot harder. And I think that, um, you know, Annette really would help her through those difficult times. And I've talked about her meltdowns on the kitchen floor. There were a lot of meltdowns related to academics and just the pressure of how much she had to do and get done. But once Annette could walk her through that, she would buckle down and, and take care of it. Do you, how do you think that's held true as she's gotten a real job? Does she still sort of deal with career pressure in the same way? Or has she learned tools to maybe be able to better navigate that? I think at the beginning, she found a lot of stress in it, but she's as she's gained confidence and um in her abilities and skills, it's gotten a, it's gotten better. And she got better as she got older too. I mean, number one, it was just maturing, but also just um, when she was in school, just being able to figure it out. But I mean, I remember her freshman year of college, the FaceTimes and the phone calls when she was in her calculus class and she just didn't get it. And it was so hard for her, but she was resilient and she just stuck with it. So I think Nathan, as she's gotten older, she's, she's just been able to figure it out. And the not getting it and pushing on and figuring it out and you know, passing eventually was probably a lesson that needed to be learned. Of course. And when she was going for her CPA, you know, there's a couple, some of the exams are tough and she took one and didn't study quite enough and didn't pass it. And the next time she studied her rear end off and she, she got that passing grade. So, you know, you, you just figure it out. Mark, you nailed it. Resilience, right? I mean, we're trying to teach our kids resilience and it's a long process in their schooling to get to that point. For Lexi, it's the same thing. Uh, math, she struggles with and uh, she's had some test anxiety in the past and working with her and to help build confidence or help her build confidence is one thing. But also as she's gotten older to realize, you know what, there are going to be certain subjects that are easier and certain topics that are going to be harder and you're going to have to work harder to be able to get through those. And um, not everything requires the same amount of effort. Not everything should come easy. And so for her, um, she's building slowly some resilience. I think, you know, it's easy to get frustrated right off the bat and think, I'm never going to get this. The reality is, is you're just going to have to work that much harder in order to be able to get it. And that's okay. You know, and on the other side of the thing, uh, on the other side of the, the coin is when you're, when you're, done with it all and you've succeeded because you've worked hard, that feels really good and it builds future resilience in your kids. I was able to find some resources about this and I'll put a link in the show notes, but I'd say the top four things that they talked about in 
helping your kids manage the stress and pressure of academics were to first just talk to your kids about it, get it out and on the table, say, hey, I think you're stressed out. You seem anxious. You seem upset. Uh, second, make sure that they are being balanced in what they do. Make sure they have other activities. They're not just 100% uh, focused on academics. Make sure they have some sort of social life. Third, communicate with their teachers. You know, your, their teachers are probably spending more time with them than you are during the school year. And so they may have some insight onto what's really going on there. And then lastly, all you can do is just be their cheerleader and ask how you can help. I also think it's important to, to remember that with some kids, the pressure to, to succeed academically comes from us as parents. Yeah. Because we want them to go to the best college. We want them to get the best grades to be able to do A, B, and C. And I think that we need to be conscientious of the pressures that we're putting on the kids, either um, explicitly or implicitly, because they're the we're the ones that they want to make proud, right? And so right. Annette and I had to really tone down a lot of um, of, of our expectations because we didn't want to stress them out. That doesn't mean we didn't want them to succeed and didn't push them to succeed. It just, you have to, you have to strike that balance. Well, hopefully there's some helpful tips on uh, how to deal with academics in the school year. Grades won't be out for a while. Um, we'll put a few links to some resources we found in the show notes. Thanks again to Randall Ragsdale for joining us this week. And as always, thanks to our sponsor, Robinson & Cole Attorneys. There's a link to their website in our show notes. This week, our Facebook page has an updated spreadsheet showing all of our past guests and topics if there's an episode you missed. And as always, you can reach us at whatcomedadspodcast at gmail.com. See you next week. Someone broke into my garage and stole my limbo pole. I mean, how low can you go? <laughs> ah, that's a good one. <laughs> that is a good one. <laughs> my wife told me I had to stop acting like a flamingo, so I had to put my foot down. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call a factory that makes just kind of okay products? I don't know. No. A satisfactory. <laughs> That's a good one, too.